Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Terry. I really feel that, uh, like Andy's just prayed, that a lot, a lot of what we need to talk about is already being sort of demonstrated. So that's really good. That is really good. Um, <clears throat> can you all say ho? Ho. I forgot to say that I want an exclamation mark on the end of it. So can you say ho? Oh. It's almost there. That is almost there. I'm going to ask you to do it one more time, but with, with real vigour, with real strength. Okay? Oh. <laughs> Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in its abundance. Okay. Right, we're starting, well, continuing with our Fools on the Hill. Um, it's a very straightforward passage, or it feels like it should be a very straightforward passage this morning. Um, but obviously God wants to say something to us about it. So as straightforward as it may appear, we've got to have ears open to hear what it is he wants to say. Um, so if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Matthew 6, um, verses 25 to 34, and we'll read through those. Okay, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, uh, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Sorry, I should have done that. So you can follow it on there and there. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Now, we start our passage in Matthew with a therefore. 
So that means we've got to reflect on something that's already been said. So we've got to go back to what Andy said a couple of weeks ago. And there was a number of things that Andy went through, through that passage, leading into this one. And this is what Christ is going to question, and this is what he's answering. So Andy spoke about laying up treasure. Why do you want to lay up treasure on earth, where rust and moth and thieves break in and steal, when you could lay up treasure in heaven, where none of those things will happen to it? So he gives you a choice. He's saying, what is it you want to do? Are you going to invest in this world that is passing by? Or are you going to invest in an eternal future? And this is what he's asking us to make a choice on. So the things in this world will be devalued and they will escape you. They will end up in somebody else's hands at some point. But if you invest in God's kingdom, this is for all eternity. This has taken us into what life is really going to be about. And he spoke about the eyes. And it's said about them being the lamp of the body. And if you look upon the kingdom of God with wide eyes, and if you're filled with wonder about what God is doing, the light from what God is doing changes you from within. And you will be full of that light. Or, he said, if you pull the blinds down, and you turn away, and you don't want to see what God is doing. How dark is your place in which you live? He said it's like being in a damp, dank cellar. So he's giving you a choice. What are you going to look at? What are you going to see? What are you going to spend your time looking to? And then last of all, he said about masters. You can't serve two masters. It says, one you will love and the other you will hate. It says, one you will have respect for and the other one you will disregard. So you can't serve both God and money. You have to make a distinction. You have to make a choice. So he's encouraging us to choose wisely. He's encouraging us to actually make a choice that will change the way we live. So he says, after all that, At the beginning of our passage, he says, Therefore, on account of that, if you have made a good choice on those things, you have no need to worry. Wow, that's so good, isn't it? No need to worry. Now, he must think this is a big deal for us because he mentions it three times in the passage that we have just read. Do not worry. Don't worry. And he finally says again, stop worrying. It must be a big deal for us. It's so simple, isn't it? If you trust in God, you have no need to worry. Can it be that easy? It's not, is it? Our flesh worries. We try to do things in our own strength. We panic. A good description of or definition of worry... It's like being a city that is under siege where you're surrounded by your enemy and you're cut off and you will run out of your supplies, you will run out of all of that. You're held captive by the things you worry about. And we know that when we've worried and really 
worked hard at that and really worried a lot and found every opportunity we could to worry about something. And then when we were relaxed, it pops back in our head, whatever it is we're worried about, what good did it do? Did that thing happen the way you thought it was going to happen? All the stress and energy that you used in the worrying, did it achieve anything? Now, Christ talks about this in Mark 4. And he, he tells us about, there's this guy, and he's going out to sow seed. And he says, what he does is, he goes, and he's not good at this. He's not thoughtful about where he puts the seed. He puts it everywhere. So he scatters the seed. He sows it wherever he goes. It lands on the path. It lands in rocky places. It lands in amongst thorns and thistles. And it, uh, and it actually lands on some good soil sometimes. And Christ says, and on, the, on account of that... Where it lands on the good soil, there's a harvest. Now remember that there's a harvest. This is important for us. So his disciples don't know really what to do with this, not sure what he's talking about. So he explains to them, he says, now when I tell a parable, when I tell a story, he says, I'm normally talking in this way so that those that God reveals this to get it. And he says, this is the meaning of the story. It says the farmer, the guy that went out and badly sowed the seed everywhere, is sowing the word of God. And that's what he's sharing. And he says, the seed that falls on the path, he says, are those that hear the word of God and immediately the enemy snatches it away and it's gone. He says, now the people on, on the first group of people on the path. He says, the next group. The ones that falls on rocky soil, uh, shingly areas. He says, these are the people that at first hear the message and receive it with glad hearts. It's good. They got it. Or you think they've got it. He says, but then when the sun comes out, he said about it scorching them because they have no root. And because they have no root, they fall um, and they, they die off. There is no harvest gain from them. Now, that's not good. The next group, where the seed falls amongst weeds and thistles, they grow up around what is established, and they choke it because of all the cares and concerns of the world and the things that we desire, the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the seeds. No harvest, no fruit. The last group is the people that have good character. They hear, they receive, and then they put this to work. And they allow it to get established. And he says they will produce a harvest of maybe 30, 60, or 100-fold. Now, that's good. The choking ones are similar to what we're talking about here. Those that are overcome by the world's worries... Those that are overcome by wealth and going after the things of this worldly kingdom. And he says it will choke and it will steal, you know, from what God wants to do. So he says, don't worry. Let those things go. Now, how on earth are we supposed to believe this? How on earth do we know that God will do this? 
and it's in what he said. He says, have you considered the birds? We have a box on our, uh, a nesting box on our um, shed. And at the moment, it is, we have a pair of blue tits in there and they have young. And they're going berserk. They're in and out all day long. And just like he says, there's no concerns for them. They just go and find food and it's there to be taken. And just like he says, your heavenly father provides for them. Now, the, the thing is, it's what he said there. Your heavenly father provides for them. Not their heavenly father. Your heavenly father provides for the birds. He supplies their needs. And then he says, aren't you far more valuable than they? He goes on and says about the clothes that people wear. And he says about why are you chasing after all of these things? You know, you won't be in fashion for long. You <laughs> no, I look around the room and I realise that. You, <laughs> you won't be in fashion for long. But it's the fact that we become obsessed by chasing something. And, and things are, are... The ante's raised. Uh, you know, you see no end of waste in this world where people buy clothes and that are just discarded because we're chasing after being the right people at the right time with the right people the right groups and so on the people that Christ is talking to in the passage are different people to us in one respect we live in a much richer society Now, these people that he's speaking to probably would have spent most of their time thinking about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, because that was their daily tasks. Those were the things that they would do. And he's saying, don't worry about those things. Concentrate on the kingdom. But for us, we have these things pretty much sewn up, for most of us. Because we live in a rich society... We have welfare systems and we have charities. We have different organisations that reach out to those that are caught in poverty. But for the majority of people in this country, we manage okay. We don't have to think too much about what we're going to eat. We just choose what we're going to eat. So you would think we'd be freer. You would think we'd be released from the worries that he's talking about to do more for the kingdom of God. But no, we get... We still get caught in all of this and we start to pursue other things. So what Andy said last week, have you thought about your, your career, your, you know, your uh, holidays, your football team, your hobbies and things? These things that we can put in the way of what God's doing. And that's what we do. We move on from the basic needs and we start to concentrate on other things that we worry about. He says you don't need to worry If, if you seek the kingdom of God. If you are in the kingdom of God, if you have made a decision to follow Christ and you are spirit-filled and you are seeking God and you are following him, isn't that the best thing that has ever happened to you? Isn't that the most valuable thing that could ever happen to you? 
You are part of God's kingdom. I don't know where you go to when you worry. I don't know what thoughts you have when you worry. But um, we all have those things that we get tripped up by. But don't you see that what Christ is saying is the best thing that can happen to you is that you are in the kingdom of God. A few years ago, um, well, quite a few years ago now, I, I heard an American church leader, and he, he, he has uh, or had back then a large church in America. And most of the ministry from the church was done through him. And it was a growing, thriving church. It was doing, you know, numbers were increasing. And he got to a point where he burnt out. He couldn't sustain this because most of the weight was on his shoulders. So whilst he was on holiday, he had an episode where he just couldn't do this anymore and he, it, it was beginning to break him. So he goes back after his holiday, speaks to his church leaders and says, you know, we've got to do something here because I can't sustain this, I can't keep this up. So they, they start to think about how they can do this church ministry differently so not so much of it is on his shoulders. So they do that. But part of the process that he goes through is he has counselling to help him unwind and to see where the issues are. So that's what he does. And the counsellor is talking to him in one of the sessions and says, so what is it you do for recreation time? And he says... I don't understand what you mean. He said, well, it's not recreation. It's for recreation time for you. What do you do to escape all of these things so that you can be refreshed? And he says, I don't. He said, I haven't had time for a number of years. He said, well, he said, you ought to go away and think about what it is you could do. So he goes away, thinks about it, and he used to sail. When he was much younger, he used to sail. And he thought, I could, I could pick that up again. And what he does is he knows a guy that's got a boat. And he talks to the guy and the guy says, I'm, I don't use it. You use it. You borrow it. So he says, great. And he says, no, I need to get a crew together. So he needs about eight or nine guys. And he starts thinking about church leaders that he knows and people in his own church that, uh, that sail. And, and then it dawns on him, he thinks... But what if I use this as an opportunity to reach out to someone else? So what he ends up doing is he advertises and he gets a group of guys together. And they're going to be his crew. And they're all guys that like sailing. So this is great. They've got something in common. But he says what happens is he's spoken to them all individually and they're all going to meet this particular weekend. And they're going to take the boat out for the first time. And he says, uh, he's down at the port and he's getting the boat, is all ready. He's ahead of everybody else and then the guys start arriving. And he said, oh my word. These guys coming down, you know, towards where the boat's tied. They're shouting at each other, not in, you know, joking and jovial. And he said, they're swearing. And he says, and he's telling dirty jokes. And he said, and some of them are so funny. And he says, I, you know, I'm beginning to think, have I made a mistake? But he says, we get on okay. He says, I'm beginning to look around and see, because I know people here, he says, and I'm thinking, my goodness, what are they going to think of me? But uh, he says, they bring a load of beer with them, 
And he said, we got on the boat and off we go. And he says, and so we start to do this. And he says, and in time, he said, we all get to know one another well. None of them want to know anything about Christ. None of them want to know anything about church. But this is great. He says, I'm building a relationship with these guys. And it's, he feels refreshed in this. He says it takes about six years. Six years or so before the first guy becomes a Christian. And he says, and he gets saved. And the man's talking about this, and he says, in my office, I have pictures of the crew that are up uh, on his wall. And they're baptism photographs. And he says, by now a few of them are being baptised. And a few of them have come to Christ. And he says, you know, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than that. Being able to see, walk with somebody into baptism and out the other side. He says, it doesn't get any better. There's nothing greater in this world than to see an individual life captured by God and reformed and rebuilt and renewed. <clears throat> see, when we're saved, when I got saved, I thought, that's me sorted, that's great. And then as I got older, I realised this is not it, is it? This is not it. It's far bigger than that. It wasn't just that I said a prayer and then I was saved, because the prayer is like a confession of faith. It's what God's doing. And I don't know about any of you, but I know for me that for me to change and, and, and to be conformed into Christ's likeness, do you know what it is? It's this pace. It's really slow. You know, and it's a daily thing. You've got to think about what you're doing daily and allowing God to do something in me. It's great when we have moments where God really ministers into someone's life and they are changed. It's great, but that doesn't happen very often, or it doesn't very, happen very often to me. But it's a, I've got to focus on his kingdom. I have to focus on what he's about. You see, in the parable of the sower, it was the harvest that was important. The harvest came from those that received the word and lived it out. They bear the fruit, they bear the harvest, they spread the seed. He has a goal for his kingdom. And if he, if he calls us into it, it's on his terms. You see, when, when we say about which master do you choose, is it, is it God or is it money? Is it ambition? Is it those things? When it says about him being my, he's, he's purchased me. He bought me. He owns me and the whole of my life. And it's taken me years to get to a point where I'm, re, I'm releasing more of my life to him. But it's so much better when you do. And it's so much more releasing when that happens. The passage we read at the beginning from Isaiah 55 why do I buy food that does not satisfy? Why do I chase after the things of this world that do not satisfy? The only, the only thing that will last is God's kingdom and the things that Christ does.
So I want to leave that with you. What are you buying? What are you purchasing? Or are you going to him? If you have any concerns about things that you worry about, um, that you have anxiety over, reach out to someone. Either reach out to someone this morning and see if, you know, we can pray together. If not, find someone in the week that you trust, that you know that you can, you can unburden some of this. Because the worrying doesn't change anything other than it exhausts us. God's kingdom is so marvellous. It is so different to this world. And to see God move this morning, just to see God move here, I thought it was a brilliant blessing. When you, the turning point in the service, when you started to sing, you're the way maker, it seemed like, for me anyway, it seemed as if we, we turned a corner and then it, things started to open up. God's kingdom is so, so good and it will be the only thing that lasts. It is the only thing that will last. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to hand back to Andy. Father, you know each one of us. You know each one of our fears, our concerns, our heartaches. You know the things that this world puts on us that we often pick up. Father, help us to find a way of hearing your voice in this and realising that you are our Heavenly Father and that you provide for us and that you have provided salvation for us and that you provide your kingdom for us. Lord, help us this morning to really know and understand that that means me, that that means I am part of your kingdom and you you provide for me. Father, whatever difficulties and struggles that we have, may we be able to confess them to you and may we be able to release them to you and to allow you to, to minister into that, our heart situation. Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can come to you and you will give us what we need. Lord, I, I pray that uh, we have ears to hear you, that we have ears to hear and that we have the right hearts to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.